What Guanawaradu? Greetings, love, and respect from me to all of you. On this edition of the Auntie's Dandelion, we're visiting with Gajijuni Fox, who is a beloved Bear Clan filmmaker, potter, and artist from our Ganyangehaga territory of Akwazasne. After decades of teaching indigenous media and Rodinashoni culture in her community schools, Gaji Juni has become an independent artist and filmmaker after receiving the Nia Taro Storytelling Fellowship in 2021 that unleashed her unique storytelling skills and perspective onto a global stage. She's created two movies that aired on PBS with another on its way to completion, and each film is profoundly tied to our Ungwe Hunwe teachings and practice. I'm not telling this story and disappearing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be here. People come into the communities and try to harvest our stories, and then it's not coming from the inside because they don't have that connection and that respect. Back in the day, Gajajuni trained at the acclaimed Institute for American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, and her installations and films have been featured at the Museum of Art and Design in New York City, the Musée du Quai Branly in Paris, Everson Museum in Syracuse, and the Ganondagan Seneca Museum and beyond. Her art extends to new variations on traditional Rodinashoni pottery and Gajijuni attribute to prolific storytelling and art to the relationships she tends to in everything she does. You know, everything we do is about relationships, whether it's, you know, having a relationship with that clay, which is, it's not something you just grab and start slapping together. For me, I always greet that clay and I... I say nyawa to the clay and I, I put my intention in there. What am I making, you know? And I I have that intention. I share that with the clay before I start. I'm Gusto Saraguate and we are Yeti Nistaha Ne De Garunyaganare, the Auntie's Dandelion. We're focused on revitalizing our communities through stories of land, language, and relationships. And we want to say Nyawagoa or a big thanks to Canada's Indigenous Screen Office, De Yunki Wista Genha, for making this podcast possible through their new media fund. It helps us a lot if you share this episode with your friends, follow us on your favorite podcast channel, and give us a review. And as always, we're happy you are here to listen to your aunties. Sego. Sego. I want to go asadate nadu. Can you introduce yourself? Sego. Kaji Juni ngats vokskalewage akwazasne nuetkidelo. So my name is Kaji Juni. It means I make flowers. I am from Akwazasne Mohawk Nation territory and I'm Bear Clan. Describe the land that we're on. Oh, we're on some of the most beautiful land you'll ever see. Yeah. This is Akwazasne and we have just a small part of our territory that we currently live on. Because as you know, most of New York State is Haudenosaunee land, where we take care of like maybe a half of a percent yeah. of the land that we used to take care of. And here in Akwazasne, I think we're very close to the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, we have the St. Lawrence River, the Grass River. There's a lot of water here and we're very connected to the water. So I think that's what we're most known for. It's so beautiful. Just even the drive getting Mm -hmm. here through the Adirondacks, it's so dramatic. And then it becomes kind of woodland again. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what you're working on right now or playing on right now? You're a filmmaker and you're a potter. You have many things. The filmmaking really is surging. Well, for most of my life, I worked as an educator, as a teacher, 
and just recently left that. It's been two years now. So I was I was teaching for a while at the Akwazasne Freedom School where my kids went to school, which is a Mohawk immersion school that's really well known, I think, around the world for yeah. their work that they do um, doing immersion. From little babies, right? Yeah, now little... they have from the nest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what grade they go up to now. It used to be grade eight, mm-hmm. and then some stayed on a couple years longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so all four of my my kids went to school there. Here. Three of the four are speakers. Yeah. And three of them have been teachers yes. in the language. And my youngest is still teaching. Uh, she teaches at the Adult Immersion here in Akwazasne, the Akwazasne Cultural Restoration Program. And she was your teacher. She was my teacher. Yeah. So she learned yeah. um, in Six Nations. She went up there for two years and then she taught there. And then now she's teaching here. And she just does amazing work. I'm so proud of her and all my kids for all the things that, you know, that they're doing. I think it's a, it's a big accomplishment when you can look at your people that you brought into the world and who chose you. (laughs) Yeah. And to see them really flourishing and, and, you know, doing the things that they're passionate about and being able to take care of themselves and take care of their, their kids. And yeah. So yeah, I'm really proud of all of them. Well, and Gayan Quinetta, who taught me at Ongolwana Gunjokwa, she was so young when she started mm-hmm. and she had just completed the program, right? Yeah. And then she hopped in and was teaching people, everybody was older than she was. Mm-hmm. And I often thought if I had been that age doing what she was doing, I would have had a meltdown. <laughs> I don't know how she did it. She loves it. She did so well. And um, that really says something about her foundation and the foundation really of, of our teachings and, and what you've brought to your children. When I hear my own um, kids speaking Ganyan Geha, like with my Lugani or with people in the community, my heart just gets so big, <laughs> yeah, so proud and so hopeful. And it's more than just speaking. It really is seeking out the language in a way that's really like doing research on the language. Oh yeah, she's she's especially like that. Like I just seen her this past weekend, we had a gathering and there was somebody talking about picking medicines and talking about the the Mohawk names for the plants. And and she's over there in the audience taking notes. Yeah, She does that all the time. Like she'll hear a word and she'll have to write it down or yeah, she's, she's really good. Yeah. She provides a lot of inspiration. And to think that young, she already started creating speakers. Yeah, you should interview her too. (laughs) I will. I will interview her. So on that journey, so you taught and you were at the Freedom School. And then how did you get to this place of filmmaking? Well, it really started at the Freedom School because I was um, doing technology there back quite a while ago. Back in the day. Back in the day. Mm -hmm. And and we were doing um, like things like clay animations and and we had the old Apple computers and they, you know, were first starting out, it seems like. And, and so it, it, for me, like doing that kind of work, like filmmaking was something that was, I just added it to my tools as an educator. And when I started working at the local high school here, and I was there for like 20 years, uh, I started to bring back different, I shouldn't say bring back because they didn't have it before. We started elective classes that I thought our young people would relate to. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted them to have a place in the school where they could kind of feel at home. 
So we, we started classes, like I worked together with community people and we did, we started a native studies mm. course there that was like a Haudenosaunee 101. And so we worked with different community people and thought about what are the things they should know about who they are, you know? And so we, we worked on that and then we developed a um, native film class that we, I taught for like over 15 years. And then we also, the most recent course that I did started before I left was a Haudenosaunee arts class. And the kids just love that, you know, like it, you just see them, see that fire inside them come out when they're sitting there and they're making pottery or, you know, Haudenosaunee pottery or they're weaving baskets with Cary Hill or, and I would always invite people in, in all my classes, like from the community so that they could get to know some of our knowledge holders in the community and some of our artisans. So I thought that was really important. Was that school, that was not an immersion school. That was No, this a was a high public school. high school, but yeah. we had the highest population of native students in the state, like Whoa. almost 70% at one point indigenous in the, in the district. Oh, cool. So it was important that we have those kind of elective courses for them to be able to take. And, you know, I did work across the district from pre-K all the way to high school, like uh, bringing speakers in and, you know, doing things like that, field trips, you know, and having things that they could see even in the school, like displays of, you know, our baskets or things like that. It's so important that they see a reflection of themselves around them. And when you describe like Indigenous filmmaking or Native filmmaking, what does that mean? How do you feel it's different from mainstream? And how are you kind of expanding on that in the work that you're doing now? I, I think that we have something different to offer. And I, when I was teaching film in the high school, I wanted our young people to have a voice and to know that their voice was important and their voice mattered. And one of the things that I would teach in class was we'd talk about stereotypes. That was the first thing we would talk about before they even thought about touching a camera. We were talking about how Indigenous people are represented or not represented in media, in film, in TV, in newspapers. And, you know, like how have we been portrayed over the years and how have we been left out? Because when our young people are watching, they're watching TV, they wouldn't see themselves at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the past few years that we've started to see more, you know, more representation, you know, like with Reservation Dogs and Dark mm -hmm. Winds. And mm -hmm. I helped out a little bit with that series that was that was on last year on Amazon Prime. It was called Three Pines that dealt with a lot of very tough issues, including missing and murdered women and residential schools. You know, it brought out some of those issues in that series. And I was an advisor on that oh, nice. that program, which was something different I hadn't tried before. But it was an interesting experience. And it's it brought some of those, you know, some of those issues into the forefront because it was on it was streaming all over the world, you wow. know. So yeah. It's important, you know, that representation is important. And I think for me as a filmmaker, you know, since I left teaching and I'm doing doing that full time along with doing my own art and still teaching in the community, though, I do a lot of pottery workshops and different things like that. So I still feel like that's a calling, even though I'm not doing it nine to five anymore. But as a filmmaker, it's been nice to be able to have more time to to work on that. And I've been fortunate to 
have been invited to be a, a storytelling fellow for Niatero. Mm-hmm. That's actually when I left my job because I felt I had that support from from them to really support me as an, an artist and a storyteller for a year and to just work on what I'm doing, Amazing. which is so important. You know, it's yeah. so hard to to be a filmmaker today when you don't have that support. You know how it is as a filmmaker yourself. You're always out hustling, trying to yep. write grants and, you know, trying to look for funding and everybody's trying to look for funding. So it's a very tough, competitive place, you know, to, to look for funding. And mm-hmm. also been fortunate to be supported by Vision Maker Media. Mm-hmm. Um, they fund Indigenous films. So they supported my last three films that I made that have been on PBS. So I had Under the Husk was my first, my breakout film that came out in 2016 and and premiered at Imaginative. And oh I absolutely God. love Imaginative. <laughs> They're the best. You go right for the heavy, heavy hitters. Yeah. I pitched my film there in a competition like two years before. Oh, okay. And I was I was kind of intimidated to do it. And before I could think about it too much, they had, they had were looking for people. I just emailed, yes, I'll do it before I could think about it. And the next thing I know, I'm on the stage and I'm... <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, our young people and the rites of passage coming back. And I didn't show any visuals. I just talked about it. Oh. And I was so connected to it and so passionate about it. And like my the film had my own daughter in it. Yeah. So I think that that came through while I was doing that pitch, because that's what we need is people that are telling stories from the inside. People come into the communities and try to harvest our stories. And then it's not coming from the inside because they don't have that connection and that respect and that way of being, I guess, that comes from living in the community. And and that responsibility yeah. to it, to the, like you're going to remain in relationship with the story, right? That's ex- that's exactly right. Like I'm not telling this story and disappearing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be here. I tried to like kind of whet their appetite for different projects and different ways of storytelling, I guess. I think one of my favorite things was the last 10, 12 weeks of of our class, we would do a production together. So they would write the script, they would find the actors, we would film it, they would edit it, and then we would show it at a screening. So we had, uh, I worked with uh, Margaret Peters, Mm -hmm. Uh Gaha. She's mm-hmm. passed away since, but mm-hmm. she was a real, she was a powerhouse when it came to the language. She was so positive. Mm-hmm. And and she was in one of the, your movies, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. Yep. She helped with a lot of my, you know, different projects. She'd come in and work with my, when I was teaching language yeah. and we'd do projects with the kids all in the language. And, and she did plays, like she did this gathering where she'd have people come in and do Ganyangeha plays oh or performances. And so she was organizing that. And she'd bring in different schools, like even from Ganawage or Six Nations, other communities coming in and doing plays. And then we had the idea to do a film festival in Cornwall, which is, you know, adjacent to the community. And so we did it at the Galaxy Theater. So we did it on, you know, during the week and during the day when it wasn't busy. And we did it for over 10 years. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so we, important. It was so cool for them to see their work on a big screen like that, you know? Yeah. I think things like that are inspiring for our youth I think to be able to to show to showcase what they can do I don't know how many times I've said this but I think I could just stay in Akwazasna and never run out of material yeah because there's so many amazing people here 
there's so many amazing stories, you know. So the the film uh, Ohologo Under the Husk came out in 2016, and mm-hmm. like I said, it premiered at Imaginative, which was amazing. That's amazing. And I had so much support from the community of Akwazasna and even from a, from Six Nations too, because oh, people nice. came out to watch the film from there. Yeah, like they bought a they brought a bus here. From Akwazasne to go to Imaginative to to support me as a filmmaker to when that film premiered. That's amazing. And I had uh, Shirley Sneavy from Vision Maker Media was attending Imaginative and was at the premiere. My mom and my aunt were there sitting beside me. Uh, Guy and Gwyneth was there and Gasana Gohe. They're the two people that are two women, young women that were in the film. We had a packed house of Ungohuan people watching the premiere. And it was really special. <laughs> and what is it? that you were documenting. Can you describe the process of the Rite of Passage? Sure. So I had been involved with uh, Ohologo since it started. Yeah. And it was started by Louise Wagalagatste Hearn. Daryl Thompson was another one that had helped out. There were several community members that have come together and really trying to do something for the youth to try to um, encourage them to find their path and maybe to take them away from other paths that weren't so healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that we used to do. And it was one of those things that hadn't been practiced for generations. So we were reimagining what it was like for our ancestors and how they did things. I mean, they were still doing, you know, rites of passage in small pockets in different communities for boys, mm-hmm. but not for the girls. So when we started here, my son, Yohelze, and six other young men, including two of my nephews and Louise's boys, were the first seven that that tried fasting and they did it in Ganasadage and it grew from those seven boys to later we had boys and girls like because her daughter wanted to do it Jahande and so we started started this for the young girls and really it came about you know this being able to bring this ceremony back came about through like the knowledge of our community knowledge holders and also guided by the young people and what they were telling us, what they were dreaming, what they were seeing, you know, all of that was getting incorporated into the ceremony and it just kept growing wow. till we had like a hundred kids doing it, like going out and fasting or 80 or I don't know how many, there was 80, hundred kids. Wow. And then it started going to other communities. So they started doing it in uh, Tyndanega, I think in Oshwigan Ash- and Six Nations, Oneida, Wisconsin, they just did it. Like just this year, they were doing one over there. So it just kind of like branched out from here. And the reason why I wanted to make a film about it was because being somebody that had been involved as a parent and then as an auntie, as a mentor auntie to many young people from the community, helping, you know, with the ceremony as I was going through, I really noticed a big shift in the young people that were going through it. Even if they didn't make it all the way through to the four years, like just that experience of going there and and, and being in that in that space and that mm. that place of learning and that very spiritual space, mm-hmm. I think was changing our young people. Incredible. Yeah. So I felt like as as a filmmaker, it pushed me to want to make my first kind of bigger film. I guess I had been doing small things in the community and in the school. But that was my first film that was mine. You know, I was really drawn to do it because I was seeing that it was making a big change and I felt like it needed to be documented and documented by us. I think like if you watch the film, it seems like 
like they don't notice I'm there mm-hmm. because they don't <laughs> because I'm the mom, I'm their auntie. Um, I was I was filming with a very small camera. I was I wasn't obtrusive. I didn't have a whole crew. It was just me. Mm. And so and they everybody knows me in the community, and I'm related to the people in the film, and so they could be themselves. So that was that was the my breakout film, and yeah. that one I got funding through Vision Maker Media, and it was on PBS, broadcast through educational platform called Nita, and then um, all my films have been distributed by uh, Women Make Movies in New York City. So my films are now in like universities and libraries and schools, and which is great. That is great. Yeah. So the films I've done have all been, you know, PBS Half Hour, which is a 26-minute film. They've all done the film festival circuit and then, you know, been on PBS. My last film, Without a Whisper, was on PBS Plus Mm. and actually got into the PBS Short Film Festival. So it was like on their site for over a year. Like promoted. Yeah. 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 So that was really great too. What have been the reactions? It, it meant so much yeah. to have that community support and that family support of, of my first film and, and to be recognized there too, because I almost didn't go either. Really? I had the award ceremony and I was supposed to be doing something in Six Nations, so I was going to leave. But then I ended up staying there with Guanguaneta and we won the Jane Glasgow Award <laughs> for like new director or something like that wow. but it was it was a real honor and what have people's reactions been how do you feel like you're shifting both in indigenous and non-indigenous communities with under the husk people feel that movie yeah and i think especially women uh, really respond to that movie and i think we feel that sense of loss that as women like we're grown now like why didn't we have that i heard that so many times among the aunties in Akwazasne when, when this was going on. I wish I had this when I was younger. I don't know how many times I heard that. Mm-hmm. But I also heard it outside in other Indigenous communities and also non-Indigenous people, you know, because now in the in the world that we live in, we're not taking the time to recognize those important passage rights, like losing your first tooth, yeah. you know, going through, you know, your moon time in this passage rights, uh, mm-hmm. being a mom, you know, being a grandmother, all these different times in your life that aren't being honored. And, and they could feel that in the film. They could feel that love the community had for our young people or has for our young people. And it was, and how it made them feel, mm-hmm. how it made our, how it makes our young people feel to be recognized by their family and by the community. I like what you're saying that it's an opportunity for adults to put the love on the youngsters uh, en masse, right? Like recognizing, honoring, being really intentional about knowing that they're going through something, Mm -hmm. you know, in these really critical times and how reassuring it is to know that something's out there that that can walk these young people through that. Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing to watch. Uh, you know, the the young people, the girls and the boys, the young women and young men. Mm-hmm. They choose they choose aunties and uncles as their mentors, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from their family because sometimes they don't have that. They don't. Sometimes they don't have that strong support in their family. So we'll you know people from the community will be stepping up. And to to really watch them grow is amazing, you know. You see them when they start out, they're just, you know, even my daughter, when she first started out, she was so young and 
And then to, to see how strong she was, you know, after that finishing that fourth year and having, you know, done those four years and put that time in and that, especially that sacrifice of, you know, being out there in the woods with no food and no water, no shelter, yeah, no other people around and just, you know, being by yourself, you know, and, and, and honoring yourself. And I think in today's society, it's, there's less of that. You know, it's all about move, 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 go get this, go get that, you know, and, and it's, it, people aren't taking enough time to have that time to be with themselves and to really know themselves. You know, we're all put here for a reason. You know, we've all come here and we all have gifts to share. And I think going through that, you know, going through Ohologo, doing that rites of passage, I think it puts them closer to their calling than if yes. they didn't go through that because they're taking that time to to self-reflect and they're also they're giving up things in order to find that. So it it takes a lot to do that to like to not go to go without food. It makes yeah. you grateful for the food. Right. To go without water makes you appreciate the water more than, you know, you know, just turn on tap and drink it, but you know what it's like not to have it, which is happening all over the world. There's so many people that are without water or struggling to find water mm-hmm. or food. And then, you know, shelter too. They're, they don't have a shelter. They like they have a little lodge that'll protect them from the rain, you know, and but mm-hmm. and they're there sitting on the earth. And they make the lodge, don't they? Yeah, that they'll make the lodge in? with their aunties and yeah. So they're they're sitting on the earth. They're in the space of those animals, those plants, those trees, and they, they're, they're taking the time to feel that. Today's society that we live in, where a lot of us are indoors a lot of times, or even if we're outdoors, we're not stopping to, oh, look at those strawberry plants that are out right now, or look at the nettles growing, or, you know, those kind of things. So it really puts, puts them in that space and, and I think grounds them and connects them to where we come from. Well, and I feel like your films are like that too. Like as far as the structure of your films, I watched a rough cut of one of your films today and what I see in it is breath. It is you're taking your time, you're introducing the land it comes from a place of knowing and, and having that um, connection to to the land that we're living on and that it's important for me to show that in the film because that's where you come from is that land and it needs to be acknowledged so in the film. So yeah, I think it is. It's where you come from and it's also conscious too because I'm thinking about that as I'm, I'm making the film and I really feel like when I'm doing film work, it feels similar to me as to the work I do as an artist. So when I'm doing pottery or printmaking or whatever kind of media I'm working in, I always feel like those ideas are coming through me. Mm. It's not my genius mind or whatever. It's like not your ego creating. Yeah, it's just it's coming through yeah. and I need to make it. Mm-hmm. And so, and if I don't honor that and make it, it'll go somewhere else or, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel the same way when I'm doing a film. I feel like sometimes things don't work out. You know, like you're thinking in, I'm thinking in my head, oh, I could, we're going to shoot this day and we're going to get this. Well, we don't. Yeah. We get something else. Maybe we get something better. You know, so I always got to be, uh, kind of go with where I'm guided and, and be respectful of that. 
So when I'm finished a film, I feel just like I do. That's how I felt so far anyway. When I'm finished a film, I feel like that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it was meant to be. You're not second guessing what you're putting out there. No, I yeah. haven't been. Yeah. Because I because I feel like that because I feel like that's the way it wanted to come through, you know, and yeah. Yeah, it's really clear when the film starts kind of editing you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a real really good conversation going on. And so for your second film, Without a Whisper, I have, you know, like four or five sound bites from that film that I use all the time, including what Louise said about her grandmother used to say, we're not, we're not feminist. We're the law. <laughs> we're the law. <laughs> That's such a great, yeah, that was a, when she said that, I was like, whoa. I have used that in so many public settings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Without a Whisper is really an untold story, an untold history which is like that for most of our history because it's being told by the colonizer, Mm -hmm. you know, and as an educator for over 20 years, I know what's not in history books because I had to, you know, find other resources to be able to teach the youth what wasn't in there. And it's a travesty what's going on in the United States right now and some states really whitewashing the history and keeping those truths away from our young people. That's why it's more important than ever that we're making films that tell a different perspective and tell a different story and tell these untold histories that everybody should know. This, This land is indigenous land. We were on this land, taking care of this land for thousands of years. And where is all that history? Yeah, It's on a couple pages in a history book. You know what I mean? So that that film came from me wanting to do that, wanting to share something that I think should be common knowledge. And I'm hoping that this film and the work that Sally Roche-Wagner, who is in the film, and Louise, the work that they're doing, I hope that it really changes people's ideas about where women's rights originally came from. And that that film is about the influence of Haudenosaunee women on the women's suffragette movement in the United States. That's right. A lot of social reform was happening in New York State, which is what is now called New York State, which which is Haudenosaunee territories, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of social reform was happening here, and I think it was influenced by us. So, you know, democracy, which I had in the film, democracy originated from Haudenosaunee people. Mm -hmm. And not only did the U.S. use that as, you know, kind of mirror our government structure, it spread all over the world, democracy. It didn't come from anywhere else. It came from here. Some of the other places like Greece, they might say, oh, we started democracy. But where is it democracy when half of the people don't have a voice, which is women? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was one of the points I wanted to get in that film. I even I talked a little bit about Ben Franklin and some of the founding fathers and how they they looked to the Haudenosaunee and how we could run our societies and you know were really influenced that by that, but they could not handle 
the power and the responsibility that the women had, Haudenosaunee women, because they were the ones choosing the leaders. Yeah. They had an equal footing in every part of society. So socially, um, financially, spiritually, you know, and even in politics. So we were, we were, you know, had that equality or that balance, I guess is a better word than equality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was something that was missing when the Europeans came here, and I can I can't even imagine what the the non-native European women were thinking when they would witness Haudenosaunee women, yeah. you know, having having rights to their own property, having rights to their body, you know, having yeah. you know having the say over every part of their life when they didn't have any of that. Yeah. You know, they were like, uh, they just had no rights. They couldn't say what was going on in any part of their lives, especially if they were married. You know, everything would belong to their husband, including their kids. Yeah. So our worlds are just so different. It is an amazing thing to think about, just how mind blown and how dangerous that would be. I mean, this is such a historic film. Yeah. Would have been the most kind of notable reactions to Most it. people that watch it say they don't know that. They've never heard this. No. So, and it's something that we really want to flip the narrative on this. So I'm hoping that maybe when I'm even dead and gone, that people say, oh yeah, that's where the women's rights came from. It came from the Haudenosaunee because we're we're like making a, a dent in that right now. Yeah. With the work that we're doing. You know, in this film and in, you know, Sally and Louise and all of the people that are, you know, doing this work and sharing this this history that people don't know. Probably 15 years before I made the film, I was at an education conference um, that, that had a bunch of uh, Haudenosaunee knowledge holders and non-Indigenous historians that, that were studying us. And she was one of them. And she came and, and I was a teacher. So I was like you know, in there taking the conference and helping out there. And then I heard her speak and I was like, what? <laughs> Our women influenced the the women's rights movement? I never heard it. Oh, man. And so I was like, our kids need to know this, you know. And I back then I even thought that. And, you know, when we started, some of one of the teachers that was there did a lesson plan on that and it went into this curriculum that we were working on. And I would teach it during my classes, but I said it needs to go far beyond that. You know, people need to know this. And and so when I had the opportunity to work on my second film, I had just finished Under the Husk. And somebody said, what's the next film you're working on? And, and it was at a film festival. I think it was in California. And I said, well, I'd like to do a film on how the Haudenosaunee influenced the women's rights movement. And after I blurted that out, <laughs> then it began. <laughs> and it took me three it or four so, years. And yeah. it's been on PBS. It's been all over the place. And I've done a lot of, uh, it was actually came out during the pandemic. So I did all the film festivals on Zoom. Online. So oh, I was able, yeah. The good thing I was able to attend all of them. Yeah. But, I, you know, we weren't going in person. And then it was on PBS uh, Plus. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a bigger, uh, it got more coverage on there. And then plus it was in the PBS Short Film Festival. It was one of the selections for that. So that was, uh, that was big. I was yeah. really happy with that. Yeah, that's huge, this relationship with PBS. I'm actually a PBS mentor. Are you? This year. Um, I'm part of a, a cohort of uh, PBS mentees. Uh-huh. 
And we met in uh, San Diego this past summer. And it was announced, this is the first time they're trying this pilot of uh, having a mentorship for people of color, mm-hmm. you know, that are doing doing work and storytelling. And so I've been in it for a few months. It's been really, really great, really interesting. They do a lot of, they do a workshop with us every month and they're teaching us different things, uh, you know, things that you need to know to, to navigate as a filmmaker. You yeah. Know? And it's been, Is it like marketing and distribution and all of that stuff? Yeah. Everything. There's something, yeah. something different every month and they're giving us homework and... No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is vision making. No, this is this is PBS. Just PBS. PBS. Yeah. So Uh it was something I applied for this, you know, to do this mentorship, and I got Mm -hmm. accepted to it. And yeah, it's been really cool. I love that you are have ended up in all these very collaborative spaces, and I think it's the expansiveness that you're bringing to the space that you're drawing all these people kind of (laughs) in your direction. Mm It, that's been so important for me as a filmmaker because here in, in Akwazasne, it isn't a thing really. I mean, even though we've had some, you know, some things going on in the community, I think as a filmmaker, I kind of feel isolated here. It's great when you're in something like that, like when you're in Neotero Stereotelling Fellow and you can talk with other filmmakers from other parts of the world that are doing the same thing that you're doing. It can be intimidating sometimes, some of the spaces that we end up in. And mm-hmm. sometimes I end up in spaces where I'm the, there's not very many brown faces. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking to you to for your insight on things indigenous or, you know, sometimes it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really uh, am appreciative of all the, the Neotero Fellowship and now the PBS mentorship and this reciprocity project I'm doing through Neotero. I'm going to be meeting those filmmakers soon. Like That's next, so cool. Next yeah. couple of weeks. But, and they're but, coming to your territory. Mm-hmm. They're coming, they're coming to here to Akwazasne. Uh-huh. So there's like somebody, there's a Sami filmmaker. There's one from Kenya. They're different indigenous filmmakers and doing short films on our you know, reciprocity, like our reciprocal relationship we have with the land and with everything that surrounds us. So that's exciting. And can you describe what is Neotero? It's a nonprofit organization and they really support um, Indigenous people's storytelling and also really giving Indigenous people a platform on issues like climate change and, and things going on all around the world that are related to the land. And they talk about one of the things that they talk about that really amazes me is that indigenous people are 5% of the population, but they're, they're protecting 80% of the biodiversity in the world with that sinking. They, they helped to support me during the process of that. I'm still working on this seed film called Ghana Ue Original Seeds. Mm-hmm. That is really following the work of a few Haudenosaunee women, including Angie Ferguson and Becky Webster and Rowan White, Mm -hmm. uh, and the work that they're doing around food sovereignty and protecting our heirloom seeds and rematriating those seeds back to the nations that they they come from. And it's, it's amazing to see, like even in my own family, we've, we, you know, we all almost always have a garden. But like to see those old varieties that we hadn't seen for a long time mm-hmm. um, be rematriated back to us, 
I mean, like right behind you, there's there's the Haudenosaunee wampum dent corn mm-hmm. that came back here to Akwazasne just a couple years ago. No kidding. And it looks, it's so beautiful. It looks like wampum, especially when it's first harvested. Like the, it's just like a present. Every time you, you peel back the husk and see what's underneath there. And like just looking around my house, you see all the different varieties. And I think here, like we were mostly planting white corn, mm-hmm. like the Tuscarora white corn. And it's been amazing just just in the past few years, seeing these strawberry popcorn that I have over there is so beautiful. I love so that strawberry popcorn. It's like a jewel. It is a jewel. They're all like that. Yeah. And I, it just, it's such good medicine to to be around those, you know, the our foods and to see them, see them coming back because of the work of some of these, these women yeah. and men. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping to be done that film by the end of the year mm-hmm. and it should be on PBS next November. Mm-hmm. So look for it. And yeah. in the meantime, it'll, we'll put it in the film festival circuit as well. Nice. So I'm hoping with that film, you know, really wanting to inspire, especially young people to reconnect with our heirloom seeds and with our sustenance. It makes such a difference, you know, when you go out and like right now I was saying, okay, we're going to make fajitas maybe for dinner. I can go out and pick a pepper right out of my garden and it tastes so much better (laughs) when it's something that you've grown yourself, you know, and it's, it's right there and it's so fresh and you appreciate it a lot more. So, and it comes with a story. Yeah. It comes with nourishment, energy, and then the energy of the story. If you're handing it over and you, you're inevitably, if somebody gives you food that they've grown, then you're describing it to someone else and the energy that went in. Like it's you, just, you feel the love of that yeah. when somebody gives you something that came right from their garden. Yeah. And the other thing too, you know, about growing your own foods that's so important today is that you know what's in that food. Yeah. Like, you know, you haven't, it hasn't been sprayed by chemicals or, yeah. you know, those kind of things that people seem to not think about today when they're buying food from the stores. Speaking of these skills and expertise, um, you are a potter, you're an artist. When I'm working in pottery, I'm just in, I'm in a totally different zone. Yeah. Especially when I have uh, something that some vision that's come that wants to be made. And then I, I'm, don't bother me <laughs> while I'm while I'm getting that out because I'll, I'll be at it. Like I just finished up a pottery that I showed you earlier yeah. that yeah. took me a whole week to make that. And I was up till two or three in the morning. I, I just wanted to keep working on it because it needed to come out. What's gratifying about doing pottery is that I can have a piece that's finished in a week, mm-hmm. whereas my films take me three or four years. And, <laughs> you know, I need a balance of, of different things I can be I can be working on. So I, I love that about the pottery. And it's something that I did when I was in college. And then you know, being a mom and being busy and working full time, I kind of put my talents or my gifts in the background for a lot of years. And just recently, you know, leaving my teaching job and I really, I'm really focusing on what I have to offer as a, as an artist. And I've been just loving it. And you were one of the many Mohawks who went down to IAIA in in Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. And that that Northeast and Santa Fe connection is so real. Yeah. It's really interesting. I don't know if that it's, there's some kind of spiritual pull or what, but well, that we, school too, right? Yeah. Well, 
like we migrated from all that way, you know, mm-hmm. our, our people. And I really feel a connection when I'm down there in the Southwest, like in the Pueblos with, I have a lot of friends in the Pueblos. Yeah. Um, and I did a, a cultural exchange for a few years with our school, um, traveling out to the Santa Fe uh, Indian school. Mm-hmm. And we would, uh, we'd go there and share and they'd come here and share. And it, experiences like that are so important. It's so different than, you know, like, okay, I'm going to New York City for the weekend. When you're, when you're going somewhere and you're sharing about who you are and you're learning about, you know, the culture of another people and the relationship building, yeah. right? That's so important in everything. I mean, even in talking about those fellowships, mm-hmm. you know, like coming into uh, a space where, where you're with like-minded people or you're with people that are offering you inspiration and, and you're you're building like real relationships. Everything's about that. You know, everything we do is about relationships, whether it's, you know, having a relationship with that clay, which is, it's not something you just grab and start slapping together. For me, I always greet that clay and mm. I, I say nyawa to the clay and I, I put my intention in there. What am I making? You know, and I, I have that intention. I share that with the clay before I start. Yeah. And I think that's important, that energy that we're that we're sharing with everything around us, including people. Right. Right. And we're made of clay, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's I always it's think like of our that. bodies. Yeah. Right. I think of that. <laughs> it's just notable how happy you look when you're talking about this <laughs> stuff. You're like, I'm I'm smiling so much because yeah. you're like, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Um, and you went down to IAI. How did you find that place? That was my high school art teacher. Uh huh. I was. I went to Yay. school in Messina. Uh huh. I don't know how he knew about it because he wasn't a. There was he wasn't indigenous or yeah. anything, but he 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 told me about this school and helped me to apply and and I ended up over there at IAI for two years. Wow. Um, and it was great. Like it really opened up my world because. You know, as a young person, not traveling anywhere, I thought Akazasne was the center of the universe and didn't realize <laughs> there's a lot of other things out there. So it was really great to be out there and to be exposed to so many other different indigenous people and nations. And, you know, like they had they had different different things to offer that I didn't know about, you know? Yeah. And it really, it helped me to grow as an artist and it brought out that adventure in me. I think, you know, like being surrounded by so many indigenous artists. Yeah. It was, it was a lot different than like, I also attended a SUNY school here and it wasn't, I did like learn a lot technically, like printmaking and different things, but it wasn't the same as being uh, surrounded by indigenous artists and the things, the concepts that they were coming up with and the art that was coming out of there was a lot different. Yeah. And now my niece is going there. Oh, that's My awesome. niece, Yana Aliso, she's in her third year and she's taking film. And now they got <laughs> that brand new, beautiful campus and mm-hmm. it's expanded to like four years. And yeah, it's it's really grown a lot, this, the school and... Someday I'd like to maybe uh, go teach there, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where did your art go from there? I mean, it ended up in some really kind of incredible places. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've... You can't even remember. I can't remember all of them, but, you know, like I've been at the New York City, the 
Museum of Modern Art, the new what? museum, the new Museum of Modern Art. There was a Haudenosaunee show there. Oh, that was amazing. I had a piece that I did with uh, Ed Burnham, who's another Mohawk artist. I've done a lot of different work. Like I, I've done painting. Yeah. I don't do that so much anymore. I did printmaking, like this piece that you see hanging in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into installation after I started my uh, my master's program was in uh, at Norwich University in Vermont, and that was a non-residency program when my kids were still little. I was so lonesome for them when I went to school there because I had to stay uh, at the campus for, I think, nine or ten days, and Kaingoneta was little. She was like, I don't know how she was, three or four years old, and I remember one night I called home, and she's saying, Sta, when are you going to be home? I says, oh, I'll be home in a few days. I was so lonesome for them. Yeah. And she goes, but I want you to come home last morning, she says. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she was, oh, my God. She just miss me. Things that break a mother's heart. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of my sisters came up with me one of the semesters, and so I could have a couple of them there. Oh, wow. Yeah, but that was a non-residency, so it was good. I was able to do my work here at home. So I was doing working on writing and then also working on art with a different teacher. I got to pick my own instructor and I even got to, I love that program because it was very free. Mm-hmm. Like even I got to pick what I wanted to research for my paper and then who I wanted as my teacher, like in guiding me as a, in printmaking or later I got into installation, which is something I didn't even know about till I got into that program and seen it. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. Like, you know, And what does that mean, installation? Installation is like kind of creating a more of a experience or a space or Mm -hmm. so not just like a 2D experience, but like the what I got out of it was like being able to activate more of the senses and create an experience. Oh, nice. That's that's the way I go about it anyway. I don't know if that's the right description for installation, but I, I did some huge pieces my last two semesters. One piece I did um, was big as this room. I made this structure out of, uh, it was like a circular structure. And then it had um, the four direction colors, yellow, black, white, and red hanging down in fabric. Mm-hmm. And then I had a fixed mirrors on the inside. It was very cool. The, the mirrors going around. And on each mirror panel, it had an image from the opening, like it had people on the first one, um, berries Mm. and then grass. And then so it had those images affixed on the mirrors. Mm -hmm. So when you stood in the middle of it, your reflection reflected in all those mirrors. So it was really about like uh, like our connection to every living thing. Mm-hmm. And then I had cedar on the floor. I had music playing. Like it was an experience to to be in there and to kind of feel that. So it was exciting nice. to be able to, like it really expanded my mind, like, like going into that master's program. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it because I had four kids at the time. But, <laughs> but anyway, we managed. <laughs> and so, yeah, it opened me up as an artist and I started to do like uh, video installations. Like I did one piece with, with Ed Burnham where he did these, these, these female figures. And then I projected video onto the figures of kind of like how we're walking two paths, you know, like mm. there's, you know, all the beautiful stuff, but then there's also all this capitalism and, you know, destroying the environment and things going on like that. So, mm-hmm. 
So I'm still doing that kind of stuff. Like I like doing, now I just did a piece where I had, um, it was just in the exhibit, the wampum exhibit at Nanagon. I missed it by like two days. I know, it was so sad. I think McCord too, they're doing it, but I won't have that piece in it. I did a piece on the dish belt. So I made this huge bowl and I had the the dish belt in the middle, the the wampum Mm -hmm. painted in the middle. And then I had a video projecting into the bowl, just, just about that, you know, that relationship we have with the earth and how we're supposed to just take what we need and make sure there's always enough, you know, for future generations or for whoever's here, you know, and like, it's about that, that reciprocal relationship we have with the earth and try not to take too much, you know, and one of the things that, that I've heard the teachings is you want to eat with a beaver tail or you want to eat with a spoon mm-hmm. and, you know, be careful as you're doing it. You don't want to eat with a knife because when mm-hmm. you eat with a knife, you you eventually cut yourself, hmm. which is what's going on right now with the earth, with people taking too much and not thinking about the consequences of what's going on with that, especially now what's going on with the climate and what's going on around the world. You know, our concepts and way of being around peace Mm-hmm. you know, our relationship with the earth, you know, and, you know, even just giving thanks. I think that's one of the most important teachings that we have is our Honda Gliwadeko or the world's words that come before all else that we, we start by acknowledging everything that's around us. And, you know, they talk about that when, when you stop giving thanks and stop having that relationship and stop acknowledging those things that the creator takes them back. Mm. And you're seeing that extinction of species at an alarming rate. What do you see in the future or what do you want to be projecting out into the future? I love this space that I'm in, like having the having the space to create and 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 being gifted with many opportunities because I opened that door. Mm-hmm. Like I could have stayed where I was at and kept doing the same things, but it's important to do that, to open doors and to see, you know, what's going to be put on your path, I guess. And so who knows yeah. where where I'll end up or what I'll be doing, but uh, I'll just be open for it. What's going to Yeah. Yeah.